0: Now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature?
2: Five down, four to go. The games just keep coming in the Gallagher Premiership. And by this time next week, most teams will only have two fixtures left in the regular season. But with players, past and present, moaning about midweek matches, is it all worth the trouble? The race for the playoffs is warming up nicely. Bath, Bristol, Wasp and Sale were all winners at the weekend. The fans were back, even if Harlequin's horror show wasn't exactly what they wanted to see at the stoop. But... Perhaps a little bit, unfortunately, the biggest story of the weekend was the red card for England captain Owen Farrell, which could have major consequences for both club and country. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and joining me this week are Ruck regulars, Owen Slott and Alex Lowe. And unfortunately, due to his internet uh, failure, Stephen Jones will not be joining us until he's worked out how to turn on his computer and the internet itself. But uh, I am delighted to be joined by Owen Slot and Alex a wonderful weekend of rugby. Uh, fans are back, which was the big story, really. It should have been the big story of the weekend. I was lucky enough to be at the Stoop to witness just under 3,000 fans. And I have to say, it was just brilliant to, to have them back in the, uh, in the stadiums. They were waited on by uh, having drinks brought to their seats. And maybe this is the future of, uh, of all sport. I noticed um, they didn't bring drinks to the commentary box or to uh, the press box either. But the, uh, the Quinns fans certainly enjoyed themselves. But in all seriousness, that was wonderfully warming to see them back. And I'm sure there'll be implications for rugby, um, not just over the next few weekends, but also just over the road, really, where England, I know, are looking to get somewhere around about twenty to 30,000 fans into the stadium for the England Barbarians game. So listen, Jones, he went to that game, didn't he? He went to the Quinns game. He was, he was at the Quinns game, yeah.
0: So he managed to get his car to work that day.
2: <laughs> well, he's uh, small <laughs> steps. I think he's taking small, <laughs> small steps, <laughs> gents. I mean, I don't know what, what, what games you were both covering at the weekend, but the uh, you know the big talking point. A bit unfortunately, I guess, given that Wasps put in a, a magnificent performance against the uh, Saracens, but inevitably, um, all eyes are on Owen Farrell. Obviously, a, a nasty challenge on. Uh, Charlie Atkinson would be one way of putting it. It's been described in lots of different ways. I mean, I, now that we've all had time to, to, to reflect, social media can be, uh, uh, can be a good and bad thing. There's been a lot of people um, you know, jumping to conclusions about, about Farrell and what should happen to him. I think what we do know is that it was a pretty horrendous tackle. Um, he obviously mistimed it. He clearly didn't have the intent, but unfortunately, it uh, doesn't really come across that way. And we know he plays hard. He's very physical. It's kind of the makeup of Owen Farrell, as Stuart Barnes was alluding to in his article over the weekend. But I think what we do know is his hearing is tomorrow evening and he can probably expect a, a lengthy ban, even though it was his, only the first red card of his career, which means he'll certainly miss Saracen's Heineken Cup Champions Cup match, called final against Leinster a week on Saturday. Um, Alex, if I could get your take on it, really. I mean, obviously everyone's had their say. Mark McCall has come in and, 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 and had his say. Um, you know, what's, what's your take on it?
3: My first awareness of it was a text message I got from someone at work who said, I've just seen the Farrell assault. Can you work tomorrow? So I was like, my God, what's happened? Like, I actually thought he had been arrested. And then you found an excuse for not working. And then I, and then I, yeah, <laughs> and then I was far too busy. <laughs> because
0: because the, the minute after Alex has received that text, I got another one saying, Alex is clearly not going to work tomorrow. Can you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, well and then, Sorry, and then Alex. obviously,
0: and then obviously,
2: you you decided to ignore your text, and then Stuart Barnes had to write the piece because that's <laughs> at the
3: game. <laughs> yeah, Stuart, was, Stuart was at the game.
2: Well, uh, it's nice to nice to know the pecking order, Alex. When they want a really good, hard hitting, you know, breaking story, they come to you first,
3: straight to me. Yeah, no, it's good to know right. The referee takes about zero point two seconds to brandish the red card. It's the mm. the quickest red card I think I've ever seen in an era where desperate to get it right, and they go to the TMO and they watch the video. There was no need for it. It was, it was as obvious a red card as as you can see. His remorse was immediate. He knew he'd done the wrong thing. Just the the, the conversation around it is, why does Farrell get himself into positions where he is, his tackles are legal or in this case highly illegal? Um, I mean, it's um
2: you know a lot of a lot of people will point to the fact that he's perhaps got away with a few questionable tackles in the past anyone who was at the game and i wasn't there but i certainly followed the commentary farrell was having an off day there's no doubt about it he missed a few kicks his passes were not going to hand you know the, the scores were level at the time and clearly he you know we know what what a competitor he is um, he was tr- clearly trying to make amends and and get his team back in the game and unfortunately for whatever reason he just got it horribly wrong you know you can sometimes give a player a bit of mitigation when when a, an opponent is running at you and you don't get your tackle height right but i think in this case owen has come from sort of sideways on almost and and just got it horribly wrong really so and
3: that, that that's what i find strange Lawrence. so that the two that the, the two high profile incidents that have been replayed now on social media for the last 48 hours the one against south africa and the one against australia were both Upright challenges, they're dynamic situations. He got away with them in the sense that in the way that the World Rugby tackle framework now is there, they'd be yellow cards. In fact, the South Africa one was used by World Rugby as an example, as they try to explain how this new, the tackle framework uh, should work. It, it's a yellow card under those under uh, those circumstances, which would be irrelevant for tomorrow's hearing, Tuesday night's hearing, because yellow cards don't count on your, on your disciplinary record. What I find odd about this one is that it wasn't a, you know, he had full view of of the player from thirty yards out. He got it wrong, but he was never in the right position. There's a slight there's a, a slight dip from the ball carrier, but actually I don't think enough to to change it. It's like it's high it's high all all the way from the moment he launches himself into connect, into contact. I don't think he could possibly use the dip as a as mitigation. And so he, he'll go into the hearing and. I, I his biggest challenge is to, is to convince the panel that it's a mid-range offence, not a top-range offence. Well, listen, I, I
2: mean, just on that, Owen, um, you know, you can perhaps give us a bit of clarity. I mean, despite a reputation, as Alex said, for not having the best tackle technique, um, his disciplinary record is actually very good. I think one
0: thing they should definitely not be thinking about is how to keep people quiet on both sides, because... Playing to, playing to the audience would, would be the wrong thing to do. No, but it's important that there's not an overreaction as
2: well because you know you have to. I have to say that you know I've been. I mean, I I don't. When you look at the tackle, you can't defend it in 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 the sense that you know he's just got it horribly wrong. But equally, some of the people coming out on social media, you know. There's clearly a lot of vitriol directed at Saracens and Owen Farrell and England actually. Um, surprise, surprise. And it reminded me of a similar incident when Martin Johnson was in front of the beak, you know, for a similar offence a few years ago. You know, when it's the England captain, for some reason, the uh, the news and the hype and everything around it just seems to blow out of control. And I do think people have to get a bit of perspective. You know, he's made a high tackle, he's gonna accept the punishment and uh,
0: and we move on. No, I, th- I think the spectrum's good, but on a podcast, it might help to lose it a little bit and um, inflate the situation a bit. No, but uh, seriously, I think um, he acknowledges that it was a um, just a gross uh, misjudgment, mistiming, inaccurate, etc., I think the interesting thing is, is, is what Alex was saying, actually, is that it was fueled by his frustration. It, was, it wasn't a reaction tackle. He lined the guy up so he knew what he was doing. And it just looked like he was really pissed off with the situation and wanted to try and do something to arrest the situation, to get his team back on track, to make up the fact he hadn't been playing very well. It looked like, like his impatience and frustration got the, got the worst of him, which as we've seen plenty of times from Owen Farrell before is... When, he, um, when he's prone to let himself down. So I wonder to what extent that frame of mind will come into their thinking, because as Alex says, it's different to the other, to the other tackles that he got wrong.
3: We should clarify here too, the, the way that the disciplinary uh, system works. So there, there is a, a table of, of recommended entry point depending on the severity of the incident. But in this case, because it was a shot to the head, it has to be minimum mid-range in severity. And that carries an entry point ban of six weeks Top end is 10 weeks. I've spoken to one or two people this morning, and there's a feeling that, that it's sort of borderline between the two. You asked Lawrence what, what we think will happen. I, I have a feeling that it'll end up, the, the panel, the independent panel, will rule it mid-range, that's my, my prediction, because top end is really for something that's, that's deliberate. So if you, if you punch somebody, you can prove intent. I think it'll be hard to prove intent because he'll just say, I got it wrong. It's really hard to prove intent. I, I therefore think it would be, he'll go in at six weeks. And um, his previous incident was, I think four years ago, a high tackle. That was a two-week ban. But he'll, he's apologised. That'd be good conduct. I, I can see him going in at six and having a couple of weeks knocked off. So I mean, he, might, he might get a ban for four, four games, perhaps. Yeah, my I, I
2: think it's just important, certainly I feel it's important, that you know his previous indiscretions, which went unpunished, that's not his fault, that they went unpunished.
3: No, it's um, also not relevant for tomorrow's no, hearing no, because no, they wouldn't no, have been red cards running. anyway.
2: But a lot of people are making it relevant in the debate. Yeah, no, fair. Yeah, you know, fair. it's karma catching up on you, you know, and, and and it's got nothing to do with that. You know, the fact that he was that,
0: That's the shouting that's going on. Yeah. As you say, there's a lot of shouting going on, but, but that part is irrelevant. The fact that people go, oh, he's got a poor tackle technique. Oh, he's done this in the past, etc." That is irrelevant. No, it is irrelevant.
2: But equally, you know, he is the England captain. Uh, he's the most high-profile player in this country and you know let's make no mistake that all eyes will be on this you know particular outcome not not necessarily for uh, rugby reasons but but more importantly just because you've got to be seen to be ruling out that kind of tackle you know we know we know what HIA issues there have been concussion issues etc cetera, etc cetera, and I, I think it's now I'm not suggesting that that's a reason to to make it the highest possible sanction I agree with you Alex I think it'll be mid-range you know it wasn't premeditated. Unfortunately, it was reckless because he, he made direct contact with the head and neck. There wasn't even any kind of, oh, well, I slid up, etc. So I could see it being something like eight weeks. And, and, and then, as you say, two weeks knocked off for, a, for, a, for being a apologetic, guilty plea and, and good behavior. And, you know, I think Mark McCall has almost resigned to the fact that, you know, that they're going to have to select without him in a couple of weeks' time. Anyway, listen. We wish sit in a serious note. We wish Owen Farrell all the best for his judicial hearing. Lawrence, how, many t- how many times really? did you get red carded in your career? Uh, no, I didn't actually. Um, I mean, you had to be. I mean, it had to be a serious breach of the rules to get red carded in the era that I played in. <laughs> I mean, that sort of tackle often went unnoticed, quite frankly. You were um, such a saint. though, weren't. you? <clears throat> no, I did get. I did get. Um, I, I was up in front of the disciplinary for slightly different reasons. Um, off the field but uh, I'd have swapped them for a red card put it that way but anyway justice was done Uh, but the big story the really big story and the heartwarming story really across the weekend was that 2,800 supporters were welcomed back to the stoop on Saturday to watch Harlequins play against Bath and first of all I think we should commend Harlequins on what a fantastic job they did to get people in and out safely. And Quinn's final home game of the season against Wasps could potentially provide another test event ahead of England matches being open to fans at Twickenham. On the pitch, on the other hand, Bath proved that they were top four contenders with a very bright and powerful display against Quinn's. But Alex, I mean, you, you, you weren't there, but you would have followed the story and you, you kind of been speaking yeah. to the RFU about... Getting fans back to Twickenham—it's just a, a, a great weekend, not just for rugby but for sport, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, and and we just hope that it, that it can be this can be the first stepping stone t- towards having more fans in at, at all sporting events over the over the coming weeks and months. It's it's critical for for the RFU um, to get fans in. We've seen them already put tickets on sale for the England Barbarians game. They want twenty thousand in. It's just, it's an incredibly complicated thing to do. It it's way more complicated than than I sort of anticipated the idea of just being able to just sell a third of the tickets and, and have everyone you know sat socially distanced to tick, tick all the boxes required. It's a very complicated process, but it's critical for the RFU in particular because they're trying to stage this autumn tournament. And I think a lot of it is, is based around getting fans through the, through the gates.
2: The, the fixture that I've heard is that England will be playing Georgia. They're definitely playing Ireland. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's all going ahead. It's, and, and there is rumours that Amazon Prime of uh, have won the rights to broadcast it on TV, so I don't know why they just don't get on and announce these fixtures.
3: They need fans through the through the gates. You know, the RFU have said that a game behind closed doors is is as damaging for them financially as no game at all. But going back to your point about about Harlequins and, and fans coming in. I just hope that the the reviews of it, and I hope it was positive, and, and that they find a way of of getting even mm. even limited numbers through the gates at all games in the in the closing rounds, and and maybe we might even have some fans through for the the semi-finals and the final, which would, which would just be a real soul-enhancing boost, I guess, because although it's interesting being in a stadium with with no fans, because you just hear a lot more, it's just it's quite flat, and it's difficult for everyone to get up for these games with no one there watching.
0: Can I just ask, Lawrence, when you say um, we know who the fi- what the fixtures are for that Eight Nations tournament, and you suggest it's going to be Georgia who are replacing Japan, the more that the, the messier that the rugby championship looks in, um, in the Southern Hemisphere, with Argentina now very unlikely to go, do you know that the, the, the South Africa rumour that they might have a look in at the Eight Nations. Do you know that that's not going to happen? I mean, they, they no, denied it at every turn. I spoke to people in South Africa last week, so, and they said, no, we don't know nothing of it. But um,
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, can't, I, don't, I don't see that happening at all. What I do know is that England will play Georgia on Saturday the 14th of November. And England will definitely play Ireland on Saturday, the twenty-first of November. I'm not sure exactly who else they're playing, but so as no, you say, this is you
0: exclusive, this is you exclusively revealing the uh, the fixture list. Then, <laughs> yeah.
2: no, it's not. It's just. Uh, well, it yeah. is actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay,
0: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a rabbit in the headlights
2: with the, with these kind of scoops, really. Uh, unlike you two seasoned veterans of, uh, of, of multiple. Okay. excuses. So, uh, well, you've just you just scooped another one there. Okay. Well, listen. um I'm not sure England v Georgia is, is much of a scoop, but it's certainly going right, ahead right. on Saturday the 14th. Are you, are
0: you going to notch up Amazon as, a, as another broadcaster you're going to be working for? Well, they're going, they're going to have to assemble a
2: team pretty quickly, as they did with their football broadcasting across Christmas. But, uh, you know, listen, have boots, we'll travel. I mean, that's the... Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you do speak to Amazon... um. Put a good word in for Jonesy, because if he leaves home now, he might get there in time for kickoff.
2: Well, listen, if he, if, he, if he can't turn on his computer and he can't work his internet, he's got no chance of connecting <laughs> to Amazon, that's for sure. But um, <laughs> in all seriousness, let's hope we do have those fixtures and they do go ahead and the RFU are able to confirm them. And I, I, what I do know is that they're planning on playing the Barbarians, England, on the, mm. uh, on the weekend of the Premiership final, which is obviously uh, the 24th. I think the game for England at Twickenham will be the following day on the 25th and the plan is to have 20,000 fans at that match but as you say with with corona rates almost doubling overnight in the UK you know it really is a wait and see basis and then of course we have the revised uh, Italy-England game the following weekend uh, which is uh, the weekend of the 31st of October I'm sure Eddie Jones is still very much planning that that's going to go ahead.
0: From what I'm told Lawrence the- the issue for, for the RFU and, and getting fans into Twickenham is, is not so much whether you can space the fans out sufficiently, which you presumably can. It's not so much getting them in and out, which can be worked out. It's the transport. We all know uh, what a bottleneck Twickenham is to get to. A nightmare uh, train journey from, uh, from Waterloo or Clapham Junction, where, wherever you're coming from. I mean that's um, that's a, a sardine can if ever there was one. There that's is...
3: what I mean about it being so complicated because it's it's more than just where do you seat them. It's they have, they have to shut the roads around it because the queuing to get in has to be really well managed, or yeah. uh, you know all the way down one way systems. But as Sotty says, just to get them there, the RFU are having to talk to the train companies and the transport networks because. You know, even twenty thousand people coming on on trains from um, from Waterloo is going to cause. And I, and I
2: think the other the other big issue is 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 the local authority and what their feelings are towards the event. I mean, I know from my own involvement with Wasps that they submitted a bid to to host a similar game, but because the R number in the in the in the West Midlands area had gone up, um, they were obviously told to to stand that submission down. There was nothing wrong with the bid, but it was all to do with. The infection rates in the area so uh, fingers crossed on that front
0: the train is now approaching junction at platform
3: passengers airport, please stay on board next stop road station
0: ios helps you control which apps you share your exact location with there's more to iphone
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
3: Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Guys, if we can move on to the top four race, clearly exits our head and shoulders. Uh, out in front Uh, I think we we pretty much know that they are probably going to stay top they've only lost four games this season in fact there is an argument that the Exeter second team is probably the fifth best team in the Premiership at the moment certainly seem to have beaten the likes of Bristol and and Northampton on a couple of occasions but um, as well as Bath the other playoff contenders all won at the weekend Wasps were mightily impressive in their victory over Saracens as we mentioned Um, And only Exeter and Bath have taken more points since the restart. But Bristol and Sale were also winners at the weekend to keep the pressure on. Uh, But with another round of midweek matches taking place, with squad rotation again playing a key part, who do we think has has managed their resources best so far? And I mean, realistically, Alex, we're looking at three teams from from four, really, when you discount Exeter already there.
3: As we came back, a lot of the DORs were talking about Leicester City, and it was like like a different team, and they they fell, they fell out of the Champions League places. And I looked at what Northampton did, and, and I thought it was quite a smart move to just to, to, to divide their squad in two and have two squads of, of similar strength. And it's just not worked for them at all. They've gone backwards. Whereas a team like Bristol have I was at Worcester Bristol on Friday, and and, and they've rotated, so they. They, they took a spanking up at, at Sale, shipped 40 points up there, but came back and uh, and and won at Worcester with their full team. And that seems to be the the more effective way of uh, of managing a squad. I thought Bristol, they just can't, they can't yet deliver it for, for a full 80 minutes. I saw them lose to, to Exeter's second team, a game they should have won. At Worcester on Friday night, they started brilliantly. And then conceded a lot of penalties, and and Worcester looked very good, and and deserved a, a bigger lead at half time than they had. Mm-hmm. But the thing with with Bristol is it just takes a second, It takes one play to change everything. And start of that second half, they they dropped the ball three times in quick succession, trying to force things. And then Rodríguez went on an 80, 80 meter break from his own twenty two, from uh, from a defensive scrum, and the game the game turned in 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 those couple of seconds and and that they struck twice in 3 minutes and and took the game away from from Worcester and, and that's what they're capable of doing i just don't know whether that would be enough ultimately against a team like exeter to be able to deliver it in in flashes but i think of of all the teams Who've who've impressed? It's it's got to be Wasps for me. I mean, we expect. I expected Sale to be where they are. They they responded from their difficult start after after the, the restart. I expected Bristol to be where they are. I didn't know whether Wasps could carry on where they left off. I just wasn't sure, and I don't think anyone could have been sure. The players themselves. We had Jacob uh, Umanga on, on the pod, and, and he was saying just, it just it feels the same. It, it does feel the same in training. They were confident. And and they've come out and, and they've delivered. And well, just, um, just
2: on that, Alex. I mean, Owen, you, you you've you've been following the rugby very closely, indeed. You you obviously had your crystal ball out because you decided to interview Lee Blackett, the uh, the Wasps coach, who I think has only lost one game since he's taken over, hasn't he? So uh, he's certainly uh, doing all the right things. What was your take from from that interview that you did with him?
0: That was another piece of genius in the Times, wasn't it? We 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 spot someone on the up and then we write about him and. Often, but the next day they go and lose a game and we never hear from them again. But um, I spoke to Lee Blackett ahead of the Saracens game uh, at the weekend. His mind touch since he took over, has, has been really quite striking. But then um, uh, having committed to putting that piece in the newspaper, I then looked at the uh, at the, the team sheets when they were put out um, the, uh, the day before it went in a newspaper and Saracens have picked what looked like an A-team their first team and and, and was, it, it was it was very much their, their second team they lost out they they'd left out um a lot, a lot of their first choice you so are you saying, are saying you
2: bottled it and, and and didn't put the piece in
0: then no no the, the the piece went in but I did slightly bottle it at the end by saying oh yeah by the way this is me writing a lot of great lovely things about this new guy Lee Blackett but they're probably going to get spanked at Saracen today <laughs> um but some um, uh, no strength of conviction there because it was, uh, you know, that I thought that was possibly their best victory so far because it, it spoke of the depth in, in the squad. It, it, it told you that it's not just, the, not just their first choice team that can get up and, and win a game. It's, it's the, it showed that the second team can. And, and they, they did it against Saracens. And, and people, you could say, oh, but Saracens went down to 14 men. Well, well they did. But, but Owen Farrell wasn't sent off until the 61st minute. And at that point, it was, the yeah. school was still 18. Well, and also, and I think...
2: They've been going yeah, toe-to-toe yeah. with them. The impressive thing was that Saracens were fully loaded. I mean, you know, they had the, you know, Vunapola playing, Itoji, Elliot Daly. Um, and as you say, they Elliot Daly sort of walked in un- unopposed before Walsh had even touched the ball. And yet they found, you know, they found this sort of character and resilience to hang on in there. Jimmy Gopper's 100th game for the club, knocking over a few penalties. And clearly, we know about Jack Willis and all the rave reviews that he's had. But what a lot of people don't know is he's got a very talented younger brother called Tom Willis who, clearly uh, is a hell of a footballer, and it's good to see him add his name to um, uh, an ever-growing cast of, of, of back row forwards. So so well done, Wasp. Well done, Lee Blackett. I think, for me, one of the performances of the weekend was also Bath as well. Um, we should talk a little bit about them and about the job that Stuart Hooper... Uh, Neil Hatley uh, and co uh, are doing there. They they just look solid, Bath. They have got a long way to go in a, in an attacking sense as a team, but uh, they're certainly their set piece looks looks look very competitive indeed. You know they're building a team around that tight five and that back row that I think uh, and and they finally realise that actually to win anything or to put any pressure on any of the teams above them, you you, you need a pretty good half back pairing. And and in Ben Spencer and Rhys Priestland you know, they played superbly well. So uh, the, the way I see it developing is you've got Exeter, I think Sale and Bristol will, will have a lot to, um, you know, too much to uh, to not be part of that top four. And I do see that, that maybe that fourth team coming from either Wasps or Bath. And interestingly at the weekend, Wasps host Bristol uh, and Bath uh, go up to Sale. So I think a lot will be determined in uh, in the next few days. But But Alex, a quick word on Bath. I mean, yeah. Quite impressed with the job that Neil Hatley and Stuart Hooper have done there.
3: Yeah, it's, it, it shouldn't be much of a surprise that a team coached by Stuart Hooper and Neil Hatley have got a decent tight five, and, and, that, and that's the heartbeat of their team. You know, with that platform, the recruitment of, of Ben Spencer has been is probably the, the best move they've made at that club in a long time, because they have a, they have the best line out in the league, they have a very strong scrum with you know with with, with England squad players in the front row. In you know, Ben Obano, Tom Dunn, Will Stewart, uh, Spencer uh, has been superb for them to, to keep them on the front foot, and and a player like Rory McConkey, who went to the World Cup, uh, really as a, as a squad man, is I think he scored five and five now for them out wide. So yeah. they have that sort of classic formula of of a, of a strong pack, two halfbacks who can guide them around the field, and a really dangerous back three who can score the tries. And Eddie Jones is it coaching influence. We, we did a piece with Neil Hatley and, and Stuart Hooper the other week when they confirmed Neil's appointment as head coach. And, and and he talked then about you know, Eddie Jones almost educating coaches, and then a catch and release system was what was what Neil called it. And you look at Gustard at Quinns and, and you look at Borthwick at Leicester, mm-hmm. and, and and Hatley now in a head coach role and and doing really well. And it's mm-hmm. it, it's really promising to see because he's he's a kind of coach who you talk to players who work under him. You know they they he gets the players' mentality. When Mike Ford was at Bath, he Hatley was there, and he was often the he would often go around and try and sort out the problems that were. Uh, Emerging behind the scenes, and he's a player's coach, excuse me. And you just wonder whether sometimes when you you take that step up, you have to pick a team, you know, as, as Borthwick is finding. You can whether can you retain that same relationship with your players? Certainly, early on, it's it. He seems to have, have struck the perfect balance.
2: Yeah, it's, it's certainly, it's worth bearing in mind, Owen, that we should probably give Eddie Jones a bit more credit, or he should probably take a bit more credit for the fact that. One of his jobs as England coach, I believe, was to develop other coaches around him. And, and, well, if you look at the Premiership now with, as Alex has said, with Gustav, with Borthwick, with Neil Hatley, he's he certainly done that. Or it, it might just be testament that he works so hard that they can't put up with him for more than about a year and then they have to leave. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm with you on the second part of that, actually. <laughs> no, no, I think, I mean, I, I, you know, Steve Borthwick had been England coach for a long time. I think the lure of having the opportunity of of, of coaching and, and uh, and, and running a side outright is uh, is too much but you do feel with the likes of Leicester that, that that Steve Borthwick project is, for use of a, a word is is going to take a bit longer than perhaps some of the other sides but it is good you know we've suddenly gone well I think the picture of English coaching has changed almost overnight really where you look at, across the premiership now and you've got Steve Borthwick in there you've got Paul Gustard, Neil Hatley, George Skivington at Gloucester, Lee Blackett at Wasps there's more English coaches coaching, you know, Steve Diamond, there's more English coaches coaching across the Prem than, than possibly their, their their overseas counterparts, which um, has got to be good for the long-term development
0: of English rugby. There's certainly more um, English coaches coaching in the Premiership than there are coaching the England team in itself. If you look at Eddie's uh, coaching team now, it's uh, it's Eddie, uh, a South African forwards coach, an uh, a, a Australian defence coach coming in, a Kiwi defence coach, Still a pretty international situation. So, well, about about Eddie and his development, um, I think I don't think he he gives a, a monkey's about developing England coaches anymore. I think that was something that was on his initial job description. That's and it's vanished. But you're absolutely right. It, when, when he when he started five years ago, Eddie took on these young English coaches, and and quite a lot of them are doing a pretty good job. So whether uh, in the Premiership, so whether he actually um, intended that or not, I'm I'm not entirely convinced. But um, but. Yes, it, it, it does look bright, and and I like the fact that it that it says well when when we need a new coach, we don't just have to look at Super Rugby or, or New Zealand and go oh who's who's the, who's the next um, who's the next one who's available. Let's try one of our own, and, and and the clubs that have tried their own have been successful on the back of it.
2: Gentlemen, we uh, it's time for our God or Goddess of the Week. Owen, I'm going to start with you. Have you
0: have you made your selection? Well, I've, I've got two actually. Um, my first god or goddess of the week is going to be which I, whichever of Jones's children would have to move back home in order to get his internet connection to work. <laughs> um, very good. Days. Um, and, and the other one I'll mention is, uh, so I watched the, um, the Bath Harlequins game and a, a player who I thought stood out in the face of adversity because Harlequins were pretty disappointed, but he you often learn a lot about a, about a player when, when they stand up when the result's go against them and uh, the game's gone. But Alex Dombrant, I felt, got better and better in that game as, as the match went on. He hit his stride more and more the, the more the game went against them. And, and he sort of became the guy who was, who was carrying the fight back against Bath. So uh, he hasn't been mentioned in any teams of the week. It might not have been his, his, his best game ever. But I love seeing a player with spirit like that. So
3: he is my God of the Week.
2: Yeah,
0: no, not a bad choice. Uh, Alex, um, any,
2: anyone that really stood out for you across the weekend?
3: I know we've covered the ground, but it seems like a good week to nominate Lee Blackett for the work that, that Wasps have, have done pre and post lockdown. So much, we, we've covered the ground, but there's, there's so much good there about homegrown coaches, some, some young English talent coming through in the Willis Brothers and and Jacob Umanga. Um, so, I'll, I'll, my serious vote will be for Lee Blackett and the work he's doing at Wasps.
2: And a couple from me, certainly my god of the week would be Jimmy Gopeth, who completed his 100th appearance for Wasps at the ripe old age of, I think he's 37. Uh, he's been an outstanding uh, overseas player, not just for uh, for Newcastle, Leinster, but also now for Wasps and just one of the most liked competitive guys in uh, in rugby. And he was actually uh, significant in terms of the contribution he made to, to Wasps' outstanding win against Saracens. And my goddess of the week has to be, Nolly Waterman, and just the try she scored against uh, Wales, I think it was, at Twickenham alone, uh, is worthy of being a goddess in its own right. So well done to Nolly Waterman on an outstanding career. My thanks to, uh, well, not to Stephen Jones, because I'm sure he had he been on, he would have still found a way of defending everything to do with Saracens and Owen Farrell. Uh, But my thanks to Owen Slot and Alex Lowe, just the 11 games of Premiership Rugby between now and our next show on Monday. If you've enjoyed the Ruck, please leave us a review, preferably five stars, and you can subscribe, of course, on Acast, iTunes, or your usual podcast provider. Very good, lol.